it's quite an exercise, okay? Because that needs some reflection. That needs to really be aligned between the co-founders, the C-levels, the board. And then we can really start to build the strategy. And the strategy has five steps. The first step is very simple, is what are your goals? Welcome to International Corner, the podcast that helps you open and thrive in foreign markets. This is Steve, your host speaking, and in today's episode, I welcome Amin Slim, VP Sales at at Scale and ex-head of regional sales at LinkedIn. He shared with us the five-step methodology LinkedIn and the scale-ups he worked with through at Scale have used to build a sales strategy to succeed internationally. From defining the vision to setting up the quarterly roadmap with tasks at a weekly level, you will know all the steps necessary to get ready to enter any foreign market and the pitfalls to avoid. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you, Amin, so much for joining. Such a pleasure to have you here at International Corner. How are you doing? I'm very good, Tiffen. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Fantastic. So before digging into today's matter, perhaps can you start by introducing yourself a little bit, your background and how you are linked to international topics? So yeah, definitely. I, uh, so I started working, uh, I think in 2011, I, I was a sales rep at jobteaser.com. Um, first sales rep to, uh, to, to join the company, worked at jobteaser for two years, and then I moved to, uh, I left Paris and I moved to Dublin uh, to join LinkedIn, where I started as a, an SDR, a sales development representative. I had the opportunity to uh, to move uh, quite quick and to become a, a team leader, to become an account executive, account manager, manager, uh, etc. And in 2020, I I left Dublin and LinkedIn to uh, move back to France where I joined AdScale, uh, which is a, a consulting firm uh, dedicated to help startups and scale-ups uh, to scale, especially uh, scale their uh, sales uh, team, sales engine, sales process. So we are helping uh, uh, scale-ups like uh, Usign, like Anchor Store, Spendesk, etc., etc. <laughs> All right. That's true that over there in Dublin, it's, it's such an international hub. I remember back in the days when I was um, having some interviews very early on in my career with Oracle and, and all these companies, There's so many people from different nationalities. So it must have been very interesting and, and um, lots of learning for you over there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And prior to this talk, you mentioned a methodology basically to, to scale internationally. I think that nowadays it's not enough to just work on the home market. People want to go out outside the borders and they are right. Um, what is for you the best method to scale a business internationally? Can you maybe walk us uh, through the best method for you and the different steps perhaps? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think it's it's very difficult to to say if there is one only way to uh, to expand. 
And if uh, there is one su super su successful method that is working, because the environment is changing so much, uh, the scale-ups and tech companies are growing so fast that what can be true a year ago could be absolutely uh, wrong now, right? Now, having said that, we, we can like discuss how we did it at LinkedIn because at LinkedIn, we had one methodology that we used based on data and based on, on, on customers um, to help us try to serve our customers the best way. So yeah, we can absolutely talk about this one uh, and 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 also share the the mistakes that we've done, uh, also the success stories. Uh, but I would say maybe if, um, it's it's very unique. It's it's uh, it has to be. There's no one size fits all for sure. So we have to absolutely customize, tailor, uh, fail, try again. Uh, iterates and and that needs a lot of resilience and and also a lot of uh, growth mindset all right well yeah definitely let's perhaps dig into that one i think obviously everyone has in mind that as you said it's not a one-size-fits-all but it would be nice to understand how you did it with linkedin and how perhaps yeah. other companies that are listening to us can apply it to their own business and their own case sure yeah sure so so as maybe um to kick off Before jumping in the uh, the framework, we spent a lot of time really working on what we call the vision to values. Uh, for those who are listening to us, uh, the former CEO of, of LinkedIn, Jeff Wiener, uh, did a, a, a great, uh, I think it's on YouTube, a great uh, uh, masterclass on, on how to uh, build a vision to values stra strategy. Uh, what is it exactly? It's basically to know who you are as a company. Is is really to to know uh, your vision. Do do you have a vision first? And did you articulate the vision uh, the right way? Is it clear enough? Does it speak to your employees? Does it speak to your customers? Following uh, the vision, we have the mission. Uh, what is the mission uh, serving this this vision? And here it's very important to to have something very tangible, very uh, measurable to make sure that we uh, uh, we can be driven by 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 this by by this mission. Sorry, um, the value proposition uh, as well is something very important, especially when there is a, a very uh, competitive market, competitive landscape. And then there are a few, few other things, such as your target audience, strategy, priorities, uh, the objectives. And what I think we sometimes we skip a bit is the culture and the values. Why? Because um, when it comes to take a very important decision, right, when basically we can't go back in time, uh, I think it's it's very important to to really rely on your values and your culture. When you decide to launch a product and that doesn't fit the market that you want to, to, uh, to get into, what are the driving forces that will make you take the decision? It will come back to your values and to, to, to your culture for sure. That's for sure that uh, culture and division is very important. And it's a good reminder because... Probably some of us that sometimes are trying to go international might not get back to the 
the basics. And as you mentioned, I think it's so important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so having done that, so it's quite an exercise, okay? Because that needs some reflection. That needs uh, to really be aligned between the co-founders, the C-levels, the board, uh, to make sure that we are um, we have the green light on all of these things. And then we can really start to build the strategy. And the strategy has five steps. The first step is very simple, is what are your goals? Uh, and by goals, it's very important to define success. So uh, is the success going to be m measured from a financial perspective? So based on the revenue that you drive, the MRR, the ARR, et cetera, et cetera. Or is it going to be based on the market share? Or is it going to be based on, on how many customers you're going to get or on the brand's awareness and brand leadership? These things are different set of goals. And I'm not saying that one is better than the other. I'm just saying here that it's important to set it up from the beginning. What is the most important goal that we want to achieve? Right? Uh, and based on... I'm just making like a small parenthesis for those who are listening. So MRR, it's monthly recurring revenue and ARR, annual recurring revenue. Closing yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for the, uh, for the reminder. So based on that, we will be, be able to, to have guiding principles. And of course, if we measure the market share, we won't use the same uh, objectives, the same KPIs as brand awareness, for example. So that's the, the step number one. Now that we uh, defined our goals and we picked uh, what success looked like, the second step will be where to play. And by where to play is basically where would you like to uh, be present, geographically speaking. And here, the best way to start will be to work with the, the sales ops teams or revenue ops team or any data operation team that uh, you have within the company. Uh, the reason being is it's going to be a very data-driven decision here, right? So it's, it, it's going to be critical to, uh, to assess the, the potential of geographic markets. Uh, so where are your customers today? Um, what do they like? Uh, where is the hidden gem? Because maybe uh, let's assume that the competitors are present in one specific country, uh, but this country is saturated. Does it worth it for us to go? Is there maybe a hidden gem where there's no one? Maybe that could be easier to start with, right? So that can only be based on data. Uh, and also, if we deep dive a bit on top of the geographic market, then it's going to be very important to focus on the market-specific options. And there are two. One is the customer segments. So are, so are we going to tap into sm small companies, uh, mid-markets, or enterprise? This is a very like important choice. Uh, I would be a bit concerned if one company goes all in when we want to go in a new market. I think it's, it's, it's better to start with a niche and to become an expert and then to expand slowly, right? And on top of the customer segments, Uh, what kind of products and services? Uh, are we going to launch the whole suite of our products? Or are we going to focus on one specific product that is our best seller, maybe, because we know it a bit better? So these uh, decisions will help us to identify where to play. 
Very clear, very clear. And uh, I completely agree with what you said about choosing, especially on the um, different segments. And I think that's what you have to get it right. And that's where people can make mistakes because it's a little bit trial and error. And it's not guaranteed that you're going to pick the right one from the start. Yeah. And uh, we, we said in the introduction that uh, the world is moving very fast. Uh, let's take two examples. If you want to launch a new market with all your products, it's going to take way more time uh, than if you go with your bestseller. And in the world we have today, it's better to go quick, make mistakes and learn than to wait for six or nine months to make our product fit and make the whole suite fit. Because by this time, maybe we would have lost some opportunities or maybe one competitor would have come and that's, that will be a bit more difficult. That's why it's important to, uh, um, to do like baby steps, if we can call it that way, or uh, to, uh, to start small and to go brick by brick. Got it. The third step is how to win. So now that we have set up our goals, we know where to play, it's basically how to win. And here there are two key components, which is to identify the competitive advantage we have because that will uh, sharpen the value proposition that we have. And we all have one. Each company has a value proposition. Each company has a unique way of seeing things. And it's, it's key to know it and on top of knowing it, to embrace it. So for those who are listening to us, if there is one thing that is different from the competition, is it the support you provide to your customers? Is it the quality of the product and the features? Is it the vision that you have? Is it the, your, your, your brand? So these things have to be assessed to know what is the competitive advantage that you have, right? And the second key component is which are the, the key activities that are required to win the where to play. So here, based on uh, a specific market country that we launch, uh, have we uh, done a SWOT to measure the legal aspect of things? Have we uh, thought of the, uh, the way we do business in a specific country? Uh, do we have a knowledge of uh, the, um, uh, if you go for a third-part business model, is this something that is used in this country? These things we have maybe not to get all the solutions of each thing, but at least to be aware, because at some point we will have to take actions on these things. All right, very clear. So step one, what are your goals? Step two, choose where to play. And uh, the third one is about knowing how to win with the two key components you mentioned. Know how you're different from what's already out there in the market and the key activities that you need to do and to uh, identify like the SWAT, etc., to make sure that you know the landscape and the competitive uh, advantage you might have. Yeah, exactly. And if we have to deep dive a bit more, just to give a couple of examples, the, the how to win is based on customers. What do customers want? Uh, all customers are not seeking for the same thing. Maybe a customer in France won't uh, have the same expectations as a customer in Spain, right? Mm -hmm. So what what is the difference? 
from a product st standpoint, uh, do we are we sure that the product that is working really well in UK will be as successful as in Germany? Um, is this the way that they they want to do things with our product? Mm -hmm. Right. So so these these questions have to be raised to make sure that uh, we are not going with big assumptions. Uh, because one of the mistakes that we can do is just to copy paste what has been working on on one country, uh, and sometimes even if we think that the country has the same language, or even if the country is close geogra geographically speaking, that's maybe something completely different when it comes to gain market share or to uh, close deals. Yep, exactly. I think, and that that comes back to what you just mentioned earlier. There's no one size fits all. And I can give a, a very specific example here. I had the opportunity at LinkedIn to to launch the uh, the Belgian market uh, back in 2018. We can assume that Belgium speaks French, at least half of it, uh, because Belgium, as a small country as it could be, there are three languages that are official. Um, and uh, if we do business in Flanders, which is in the north of, of the country, it's a completely different story than doing business in the south in Wallonia, which which is more like a, a French-speaking region. Mm -hmm. So here, if we uh, just think that by copy-pasting what we do in France and especially in Paris, that's a big mistake. And and we we learned it the hard way, if I can say, because <laughs> we had to really adjust our approach. Uh, and even for, for the French-speaking people, Uh, the the way we speak French between France, Belgium, Switzerland, etc., etc., is not the same. S same as English. We we all have like some things, and and the more we can adjust and adapt and and speak the customer language, and the better it is in terms to uh, uh, to our goals. So yeah, that was just a little story uh, to share. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, number four. Um, so we set the how to win. Uh, number four is the required capabilities. By required capabilities, what do we mean? We mean what is the business model that you will launch? What, uh, what are the gaps between what you can do and what, uh, what is needed for the, for, uh, for the market? Um, we can also start talking about people, systems, Uh, resources, headcount head planning, et cetera, et cetera. So here is, is it's it's basically okay. So now, what should we do? Okay, um, should should we uh, sell uh, from directly between us and the customer, or should should we have uh, a business model with the channel partner? If we have a channel partner, should we go with only one, or should we have 10 or 20? Right? Mm -hmm. um, should we set up an office or should we just have a, a digital marketing presence? Uh, should we have people working based on one single area and they uh, do some inside sales, meaning they, they do business um, without going physically in the market? Or should we have some people in the market to attend events Uh, to do some networking, to meet the customer face-to-face, etc., etc. So this is, at this stage, this is where things start to become a bit more detailed and we start seeing what uh, the market needs and what we can do. 
And again, there is no one only solution. Here, it's super important to see what we want to do, what is needed from the customer and from this market, and then take a decision based on these two things plus the values and, and the culture. Exactly. I think that's uh, also a part of the the methodology that's very important. And that's not so easy to get it right, actually, no. especially on the should I have an office or not? Lots of people are asking themselves the question, should we just be all based from Paris, for instance, to go international? Should we go out there? Yeah. You have to be based on like as much data as possible. Yeah. But I think at some point you also have just to make a decision. Yeah. Yeah. So let's share an example, um, maybe to help il illustrate what we say. When LinkedIn um, decided to go in Europe a bit more uh, massively, uh, they launched local offices in Europe. So Uh, the hub was in Dublin, which is the European HQ. And then there were offices in Madrid, in Paris, in Milan, uh, London, etc., etc. When it came to Germany, Germany has two LinkedIn offices. And the reason behind uh, this thing is coming from two things. One, because Germany is... Uh, uh, The, the way they do business is not as centralized as a country uh, like France, for, for example, where most of the business is still very much con concentrated in Paris. Uh, same in UK, very much in, in London, like even if things are changing, right? But it's, it's, it's a trend. While in Germany, it's a bit more lenders focused. And that's why for them, it was critical to have a, an office in Munich and Berlin. The second reason is that there is a massive competitor that is Xing. So it was very important for, for, for them to uh, be locally present through these two offices. And here you see the decision was not the same when it came to Germany versus France or UK. Uh, and that's um, what people have to take into account is really the specificity of the market, the competitive landscape again, uh, and also the way that uh, businesses is done locally. Mm -hmm. Got it. Uh, so based on the required capabilities, we can now have a clear roadmap and start really w working on the tactical things and on the execution piece. And the execution piece is now that we know what are the goals, where to play, how to win, what we have to do, we can decide how many people have to focus on this market. We can um, start um, uh, connecting the risk of the market and our uh, set of actions. We can also uh, think of, in terms of measurement, how are we going to measure uh, individually the people that are going to work on this market, right? So that will be a bit of a, let's say, a roadmap and, and what we... Uh, did at LinkedIn, which was the best practice, is that we had a, a quarterly roadmap that was then um, broken down into weekly goals. And we made sure that the big view and, and the big sales strategy that we're talking about today can, be, uh, uh, can have like actionables uh, things based on quarterly, if we go a bit uh, deeper, and then weekly.
right? Just a question on that. How deep would you go into setting up the weekly goals? Would you go as far as going into the tasks of the week? Because I feel that if you decide something at the beginning of the quarter, mm -hmm. based on the the 10th or 11th week, mm -hmm. maybe because you learn so much on the way, your planning might not be as relevant when you actually get there? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's not because we do a plan that we cannot change it. Right. Uh, the, the plan is like a compass. It's not... Uh, It's not a map going from point A to point B. It's more a compass to show the, the direction. So if we take an example, let's say we are uh, entering a new market. Uh, this market doesn't know our product, our brand, our company at all. Uh, and we decide to focus on brand awareness. If we focus on brand awareness, what should we do? Should we focus on a digital marketing strategy? Should we... Um, not sell at the beginning, but really focus on webinars, uh, on educating customers. Uh, and if we uh, take that decision, let's do maybe a set of webinars and let's measure the brand awareness, et cetera, et cetera. The goal would be, okay, so first quarter, how many webinars we're going to do? What are the themes? How many attendees we can expect, right? And based on, on the quarter, if we have three or four, whatever, it's to see weekly basis, what are the baby steps that you're doing to achieve the three webinars that have to be done, right? So mm -hmm. uh, for sets, it's it's very simple. It's which platform are you going to use? Uh, what team? Uh, who is your uh, special guest? Um, have we sent the, uh, the email and the invitation RSVP and everything? What is the plan B if there is something wrong? So you see... Uh, things can change. The, the theme can change. The, the date can change. But since our goal was brand awareness and since our how to win was the webinars, uh, that's the compass. All right. Yeah, in that case, um, you can make it more adaptable and make changes along the way. Absolutely. The plan doesn't have to... Uh, I, I believe a plan should be challenged Uh, but the mindset to have is the compass, not a map that is basically the only road uh, putting you on, on the path. Mm -hmm. Very clear. And I actually have um, another question now that I just listened to that. Um, when you make that roadmap, make mm -hmm. the quarterly objectives, from your experience and the way you advise other companies, What would you say is the best practice to set up objectives? Because I find that lots of companies, and that was also my case when I was opening the U.S. market for Tucan Toco um, two years ago, sometimes you have some ideas of what you want to achieve when you are strategizing. Let's say, oh, this year we want to do 1 million ARR, mm -hmm. and then you break it down into uh, objectives and things. But then as you go through... Because it's, you just said it uh, at the beginning, it's tough. You have to be resilient. Things more often than not don't go according to plan. And yeah. you, and two, two months after, you just realize, okay, the goal that we actually set up are completely not achievable. Mm -hmm. Like, did you, did you find a method to set up objectives so that from the get go, you're not 
so far away from what you're supposed to achieve in the end. Yeah, so I see what you mean. I So I think uh, what you're saying is very much re related to the foundations of these goals. The more the foundations are solid, the more we can keep it up and running. And usually if we spend some time to assess what is the true north, uh, the true north doesn't change. Maybe the, the way uh, to go won't be the same, but the destination, the final destination is still the same. Now, there are two things, two scenarios. Uh, if you didn't spend enough time on the foundations, on the true north, so by true north is the goal, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and if you really skipped that part and you didn't take the time to uh, reflect it with your culture and values and everything, Yes, the true north might be changed because we didn't uh, put enough effort uh, to have a solid one. Now, if you set up the right true north, uh, but you realize that there's a bump on the road and there is COVID or there is a crisis or anything that can uh, happen, uh, The true north will still be the same. The way to get there is going to be way different. Now it's more about being agile and being flexible to see, okay, we, we, we wanted to take that way, that path. That path is blocked. Which, which other path should we take? So if, if we take the example of uh, the webinars, if the webinars is not the right approach, what should we do? Should we uh, maybe set up a physical event instead? Or should we... Um, have uh, case studies and share it with our customers? Uh, should we uh, rely more on the marketing team to build uh, uh, e-books, to uh, have guides, and to make sure that they are aware of what we do? That's the same uh, theme, brand awareness. It's just not the same way. So I think the true north has to be solid, mm -hmm. and then we have to be open to, okay, Maybe the path that we wanted to take is not this one. So let's uh, let's explore another one. Does that answer the question? Yes, it does. Thank you very much. And, okay. Okay. To just to sum up before moving to the next question, so you shared the five steps uh, for you to go international. The first one, setting up your goals, really knowing what they are. Yeah. The second is to know where to play, really choosing the countries, the regions where we want to expand. Yeah. The third being define what winning looks like, yeah. your objectives that are required to do, basically to define success. Yeah. Uh, the fourth being the required capabilities. What should we do, right, as a uh, as a business? Which model should we should we take to get there? Mm -hmm. And the last one being the roadmap and kind of the resources needed to comply with the objective that you set up uh, and yeah. building, you know, those, those different milestones to get yeah. there. Headcount planning, hiring, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Okay, great. And obviously you have this methodology, you have different examples in mind. What are for you some aspects you often see companies widely underestimating when it comes to going international? That's a good question. I would say... What I observed is we spoke about um, taking a decision based on 
data and based on customers, right? Mm -hmm. uh, often, sales operations team, revenue operations team are amazing because they can really help uh, decision makers and leaders by seeing the right, uh, the right solutions and the right options based on data. So they see the white space, they see the hidden gem um, based on the metrics, they see what can happen and they come, they can come with, we should go maybe in, on this market. However, sometimes uh, on top of the data uh, is super important to connect it with the customers and their feedback because the numbers are something, but the, uh, the numbers, when we connect them with the reality of the market, which is the customers and their feedback, this is something that can make it even stronger as a, a, a recommendation. Mm -hmm. So I would say maybe what, what I've seen sometimes is that uh, focusing maybe a lot on the datas, but uh, to basically be comfortable and not uh, having the risk of being challenged or challenging the data to skip a bit the customer piece. But the customer piece sometimes can say, I don't need that product. Mm -hmm. I'm okay. Uh, I, I'd rather have a bit more su uh, support on this thing. Or uh, maybe the customers will be like, but we're super happy with the competitor. We don't need someone else right now, right? Uh, and uh, uh, for example, I remember in Switzerland, there was um, a very strong uh, competitor when it came to uh, hiring solutions, talent solutions. Uh, and we had, LinkedIn had great products, uh, great results, great case studies. They were just happy with their local uh, uh, partner. And that's completely uh, subjective. So what, what do you do? Yeah, the data showed that they are using a lot and they are spending a lot and, and they are great customers, but the customers, if they're happy, what do you do? So, um, so I think, yeah, having the, the, uh, the second layer of the customer f feedback, it doesn't mean that we have to not to go to that area. It just means that we have to go, but maybe in a different way and not to use only the numbers. Does that make sense? It does. It completely does. And I, I see that uh, we are uh, almost nearing the end of the, of the episode. But before going to that last question that I always ask every interviewee here, prior to this conversation, we had an interesting talk where you mentioned that having the right methodology is good, but really having the right mindset is crucial to succeed in internationalizing a company. Mm -hmm. Can you... Tell us more about it. About the mindset, you mean? Yes, about the mindset, having the right mindset. Yeah, so the more we are assertive and, and confident, and the more risky it could be. Because I, I would say when you when you want to, to expand, when you want to go into a new market, I think humility is super important. Even if you had a massive success in your uh, uh, in France or in your historical uh, market business, um, I would say pretend as if you you didn't have a, a successful company. Pretend as if you didn't know anything, 
And uh, I think in the Japanese culture, uh, there is an expression about this that is called shoshin, which, which means to enter into a room or into a market or into anything else uh, as if you had no knowledge whatsoever uh, coming from the past. Just reset your mind as if you didn't know anything to avoid the assumptions, the limiting beliefs, the bias. The bias is huge. It's a huge thing. So to avoid these things, uh, challenging a bit uh, what should be done. There's this thing. And and if I can add one last, I would say, uh, because I've been in that situation, to be exposed as much as possible to different accents uh, about a language. Uh, and I'm going to uh, refer to English, for example. I think it, it's it's something that I've seen is not to be able to understand a specific accent, and because I was not exposed to it before, so so I would say try if you have a meeting, try to know your your audience, try to know the main po- point of contact, and some details such as their background, where they're coming from, can maybe h- help you to find a podcast uh, or something to get your ear familiar with uh, the way they speak, maybe pick some specific words that they use that we don't use in another country. Small details like this can make a huge difference when it comes to a business meeting. Definitely. It makes them feel that we are part of their culture as well and that we understand them mirroring. It's very powerful in any meeting. And especially, I think you got it right on international context like this. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So insightful, Amin. Thank you so much. Uh, It's time now to go to the Oops, My Bad time. Whoops, my bad. For people who don't know what it is, it's a few minutes at the end for the guests to share one big mistake or one setback that has occurred during a country's opening effort. So hopefully people that are listening to us are not going to repeat the same. Can you perhaps share either from your experience at LinkedIn or what you've seen in other companies, one setback or one mistake? Yeah, so basically the one that I just mentioned, <laughs> uh, because uh, I can definitely relate. I was in a meeting with uh, uh, with an account manager from my team, a huge meeting. Uh, the client was one of our biggest uh, six people in the room. And the the director, so the the one who's signing the contract, was uh, logging through a, through a phone call, uh, and I, I I struggled a lot to really understand the um, the the accent, and thank God the account manager spent some time in this country, so his ear was familiar. So uh, when a question was raised. Uh, he could answer, but I couldn't absolutely. So from that day, this is why I mentioned uh, this this example earlier. Uh-huh. From that day, I made this promise to myself: if I go to a business meeting and uh, I I do my prep, I'll definitely check uh, the backgrounds of each one of the people and make sure that I can get at least some uh, some some prep in terms of accent, or to have someone that can support and 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 back us up. 
so so yeah, that was quite awkward for me for for a few minutes, and few minutes can be really long in a business meeting. Oh yeah, hundred percent, and I can relate to that as well. I think. Even for me, uh, at times back a few years ago when I was in the US, I would listen sometimes also to people from Australia speaking or New Zealand, very different accent. And I find actually in terms of tips that if you're going to one of these meetings, make sure you can listen to like one episode of a web series in that language with the subtitles. It really helps get your ears used to it and then you're much more comfortable afterwards. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> but I think we got it, and that's uh, very insightful. Thank you so much, Amin, for that, and also for all the other insight that you shared today. It was very interesting. So thank you. <laughs> Thanks. See you. Bye, Tiffany. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much for staying here until the end. If you liked the episode, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform to not miss the next one. And feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn, Tiffen Leroux to share your feedback or give me your suggestions for future guests in my podcast. See you in two weeks.